Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about HP St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey. They had set up a stage and they had a rock band playing and they had kegs. I had one job in the 10 years I was there and only one client. And I wasn't a particularly good salesperson. This is episode 15, and my guest today is Mike Schumann. If you missed any earlier episodes, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's my discussion with Mike. Hello, everyone. This is Dave Carey, and my guest for today uh, is Mr. Mike Schumann. Mike, welcome to Larpenter Life. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's a privilege. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Mike, I know when you started with HP, um, you know, roughly the same time that I did, early 80s, one thing I remember about you is that you were one of the most technical you may be the most technical sales rep I ever worked with ever in my entire career. And even right from the start, um, unlike a lot of us that started straight out of college, you already had a lot of experience, uh, technical experience when you when you were hired by HP. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I was kind of uh, lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. I was um, living in North St. Paul. My dad worked for 3M. Uh, I was in eighth grade and I joined a explorer post in name only that was sponsored by from scientists at uh, 3M's research labs and uh, for kids that were interested in science. And I won't go into the long details, but we got bored looking at electron microscopes and all that kind of stuff. And somebody suggested, let's learn how to program. And we learned Fortran. And um, I turned into a hacker when I was in eighth grade. And I graduated in 1969, ended up going to Cornell. And then my first job after I graduated was with a startup uh, called Comstar down in Eden Prairie that had taken the Intel 4004 that had just come out, the first microprocessor, and had built a bunch of interface cards so you could use it for process control applications. And I ended up being one of the first probably 25 people in the country that programmed an Intel 4004. And at that time, it was all done in Octal. We didn't have an assembler. We used uh, UV erasable EEPROMs and, uh, that had 256 bytes of uh, memory. And uh, we had to hand program those. One mistake, you have to start over and erase it. And so then I ended up at uh, a number of other jobs. I took a break and went to law school for a year before I saw the light. And decided that, uh, you know, I, uh, I was making two or three times more money consulting on the side than my professors were. And I thought, okay, you know, law is, is, is this is boring. And, uh, and then uh, I ended up working for Honeywell for five years. And then uh, I got uh, restless and I moved to uh, Boulder, Colorado, worked for Storage Tech there for a year. Wanted to come back to the Twin Cities and I joined a startup, Lee Data. And... Um, all of a sudden, I found myself out of a job just as 
1984, 85, we went into a serious recession and I was unemployed, had a house that was being rehabbed. And, uh, and then uh, luckily in the Sunday paper that Hewlett Packard had a hiring fair and I showed up and Tom Obinger interviewed me and they immediately, when they saw my resume, they wanted to hire me in a hurry. They got me a written offer within a day which I immediately accepted. And boy, was I lucky because within 12 hours, Hewlett Packard had a hiring freeze. So I basically got into Hewlett Packard just by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. I mean, that is lucky. And I think a lot of us, that's something I've heard over and over as I've talked to people about how fortunate they feel. There's, you know, the stories aren't all the same, but uh, people are just feel very fortunate that they looking back that they came into the company at exactly that time. Uh, it really was something. Back then, there were pretty significant training programs. Did you, uh, did you have some initial training uh, you know, to become a sales rep right away? Well, the standard program for new sales reps was to basically spend six months getting a tour of the company. And they flew me all over the country to all the different divisions to get to see what was going on. You know, went to Palo Alto, got a tour of the headquarters, Got a, you know, got to see where Bill and Dave's cubicles were. I mean, it was impressive. But the the real uh, thing that sticks in my mind was um, we ended up in Boise, Idaho, which was where the laser jet division was. And uh, you know, I spent a couple of days there. They showed me the plant and everything. And on a Friday afternoon, somebody said, "Well, we gotta quit our meeting. We get because we're gonna miss the beer bash." And I, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? Well, they took me back and they here in the corner of the warehouse, they had set up a stage and they had a rock band playing and they had kegs. And it's like, I was just flabbergasted. You know, I'd never worked for a company before where bringing alcohol onto the premises was even thought of being permitted. And here there was a beer bash that was being sponsored by the company itself. I mean, it's just, it was mind boggling to me. It's uh, it is absolutely incredible. I think even for that time, that was something that was very unusual. But it, you know, think about what it actually did. It it besides, you know, of course, there's some risk and some liability, and there's a whole lot of stories that come out of those sort of events all over the country, all over the company. But it also gave everybody a chance to socialize, and I think the leadership within HP did a great job of recognizing that that was going to pay dividends in other ways. Um, you know, when you're working with somebody and you've, you know, let your hair down with them a little bit, so to speak, um, it really, it really gives you a, a sense of family that, that carries throughout the whole company. Well, that was what was so special about Hewlett Packard, the culture uh, and the, the, the camaraderie and the, the team that it was there, you know, there's probably, there hasn't been a company in the in the country, if not the world, that has had that kind of um, that kind of culture. Uh, you know, there's probably some like Apple, uh, you know, and 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 some other companies that are that have their own culture that is similar. But uh, Hewlett Packard is really uh, is kind of the the example uh, of uh, something that uh, in many cases doesn't exist anymore. Well, certainly, you know, and speaking as somebody who retired just uh, less than a year ago in HPE, it's it was different. There's no doubt that the company has changed and different, but it's amazing how much has 
you know, throughout all the mergers and acquisitions and divestitures and everything, it, it's amazing how much really has persisted. And that's something that kept me there for a long time. But I think, you know, it, it really all began with Bill and Dave themselves and the, you know, the corny phrase, the HP way that we all got indoctrinated with, so to speak, but it really truly was the way things were. Well, I, I think a lot of it came right from the top. You know, and and the reality is, whether you're in a company or if you're in government or you're in any kind of other organization, um, really uh, the culture flows down from the top. I mean, it's just uh, the leadership really sets the tone. And uh, that's what really made Hewlett Packard special. I mean, uh, you know, and it wasn't just corporate policies or anything. What really made it special was Bill Hewlett in particular where basically uh, he just wandered around. You know, it was management by wandering around was his philosophy. And there were these stories about he would walk into a lab and he'd sit down, introduce himself to some intern and spend three hours talking to this kid about what he was doing. And, um, and you know, Bill would come up with these ideas of, you know, uh, hey, I, I want to have this particular tool and there was no business plan. You know, it's like his attitude was, if I want it, everybody's going to want it. And he just went out and built it. Yeah. And I think Bill and Dave, what, the other thing that made them so amazing is their sort of down-to-earthness of, of both of them. Um, they were really revered in the company. You didn't find people who just hated the, you know, talked badly about the, you know, the the very founders of the company. And, you know, that was something that I think is really unique uh, too, as well. I had the opportunity to meet those guys in various times and they just seem like regular people, like you said. Well, the thing is a good example is uh, at the time um, when I worked there and Bill was still around everywhere, you know, the, at least the stories that I heard we had two corporate jets, but they were purely there to run an airline between Palo Alto and Boise, where there was no air service. It was just a, a way for uh, employees to have efficient uh, you know, transportation for engineers going back and forth. My, my understanding was that when Bill went on business trips, he always flew coach, you know, and, um, you know, that says a lot. I mean, the fact that you're doing that and you're not flying first class, that sets an example that just permeates the organization. So tell me about being a sales rep. Well, I had a very interesting career at HP, which is very different than a lot of other people. I had one job in the 10 years I was there and only one client. Uh, the entire time I was at a Hewlett Packard, I was part of the 3M sales team. And the 3M sales team was just an exceptional group of guys. Um, you know, Mark Dankers, Lamar Bettner, John Aiken, Brian Beersbach selling instruments, Julie Henry, and myself. And I, I don't know if I missed anybody. But what was really unique about the 3M team is that we all decided, this was a mutual decision that all of us agreed to, that we wanted to be on team quota. I think we were the only group of sales guys in the country are in the world in Hewlett Packard that were organized that way. And it was kind of, a, it was a big sacrifice for some guys because some of the guys on our team, uh, you know, like Mark Dankers is a good example. He was just an outstanding, exceptional salesperson. I was the techie, 
you know, I was the guy on the team that if, uh, uh, if they needed somebody that had some technical expertise or could talk the talk, I was the guy that got sucked into every deal. And I wasn't a particularly good salesperson. I really, uh, my heart was into technology and into the stuff, the bleeding edge stuff that Hewlett Packard was doing and that 3M was doing. And a good example of that, which happened in the middle of when I was working there, was uh, Hewlett Packard invented inkjet printers. And the inkjet technology, the the way we uh, developed that um, was so unique. And I immediately recognized, boy, this has uh, unbelievable applications beyond just printers. And at the time, uh, 3M had a whole division that was doing commercial graphics, all right, where they were basically doing, um, you know, road signs and advertising and everything else. And they were using electrostatic plotters to basically try to do printing on vinyl for, for advertising and whatever. And I was talking to those guys about, hey, you know, you guys should look at Inkjet. And they were really interested in that technology. The problem that we had at Hewlett Packard was that our inks, we weren't a chemistry company. We didn't know that. And initially, all of our inks were dye-based and they weren't UV stable. So they didn't basically hold up outside. So I took it on to try to get some of the top management at Hewlett Packard and at 3M to start talking together and to try to get Hewlett Packard to use 3M's chemistry research to, in, to get our inks improved and at the same time to get, H, uh, to get 3M to start using our inkjet technology in their printers. Well, this caused a huge problem because at the time uh, when we were starting and we were print, you know, coming out with these inkjet printers, uh, the gating item was not printer production. It was ink cartridge production. And the Boise plant had quotas limiting how many printers they could produce each month so that they didn't produce more printers than they could sell cartridges. Because, you know, they, the worst case scenario would be to sell somebody a printer and then they, you couldn't get them the ink. Well, of course, as soon as we started with the low-end printers, then the plotter division decided, hey, this technology is great. Let's do uh, wide format plotters using our inkjet technology. And of course, they were, you know, their whole market was architects and engineers. You know, well, if you look at a, a, an architectural drawing, okay, there's virtually no ink on it. You know, they're just a bunch of narrow lines. I went to 3M and I started selling them these plotters to do commercial graphics, which was 100% ink coverage. Well, every time I sold a plotter to 3M, it basically knocked 20 plotters out of the production schedule because of the ink that 3M was consuming. And I went back to, to Palo Alto and I said, you guys are nuts here. You know, the money that is in the ink cartridges, that's where you guys are making the money. And at that time, half of three, uh, Hewlett Packard's earnings was ink cartridges in terms of pure profitability. And I said, you guys got to ramp this up. I mean, instead of doing increasing your ink production by tenfold, you need to increase your ink production next year by a hundredfold. So that was the kind of stuff that uh, that I was kind of doing, you know, just on the side. And you know, um, I think it helped our overall sales efforts because it created this really tight, um, you know, executive level uh, relationship between 3M and Hewlett Packard that people like Mark and everybody else on the team could take advantage of and sell HP 3000s and all the other stuff that we were selling that was actually bringing in the money. 
You're right. You're right, Mike, though. I mean, uh, this this is exact when you hear you tell that story. It's exactly the kind of memory that I have of you. You always had a, a really good ability to see the future and to, and to, you know, come up with sometimes harebrained ideas, but, uh, you know, uh, oftentimes very visionary things. I remember you ta- talking about the Internet in the same way and trying to trying to get us to think about that in different ways. I got sent as a representative for our office, for the whole office, to some uh, uh, to some meeting there where they were discussing the latest and greatest uh, trends that were going on. And somebody talked about the internet. And uh, this was just when the first web browser had come out. And I, it was an eye opener to me. And um, I came back to the office. I said, this is the next big thing. And the most immediate thing, the thing that was driving us crazy was people calling us asking for manuals and sales aids and, you know, all the documentation. And we had a library full. And I said, you know, we got to put this all online and get out of this business and just have people download this stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and, but then, um, you know, I went around the office and I know I nailed you and I talked to all the other sales guys on the 3M team. I said, this is so hot. We got to start our own company and start doing consulting here. Let's pool our money and hire one of our SEs and go for it. And, you know, nobody wanted to leave HP and nobody wanted to do that. And it's like, uh, we just, we would have all been multi, multi millionaires right now if we had taken these, you know, these opportunities that were staring us in the face and ran with them. But my personal frustration of being in in St. Paul was, you know, I had an engineering background and I really wanted to be in an engineering uh, shop and in a technology shop. And, um, uh, you know, for me to be in Hewlett Packard, I love being in Hewlett Packard. For me to really do that and do it the way I wanted to do it, I would have had to been in Palo Alto. But unfortunately, or fortunately, I had met my wife and we started a small furniture store and it took off and it got to be so successful. I, I was locked. I couldn't leave the Twin Cities, you know. And, um, you know, after 10 years, you know, you got, uh, HP had a reorganization and I had the opportunity to take a buyout. And it, that was kind of the end of my HP days. Yeah, I, we'll come back and talk about that furniture store in a minute here. But, um, you know, it's interesting because it's really two sides to the same coin you know hp was conservative in many ways fiscally conservative and in terms of product design and uh decision of which products to go into hp was pretty um conservative as we've talked about they were also pretty progressive when it comes to anything to do with employees and uh giving employees a lot of freedom to do their job and trusting employees, allowing them to have a beer bash on Friday and that sort of thing. I think HP was very uh, ahead of its time in that in that uh, sense. One thing we haven't really talked about is the products themselves. Um, you know, HP was pretty exceptional in, in the products. You have a technical background. Is that something that was uh, noticeable to you? You know, we could buy product uh, at employee prices that was really attractive. And everybody... Um, Everybody bought HP calculators as gifts for their family. And I bought an HP 12C for myself and for a whole bunch of other people. That HP 12C that I bought, and this would probably be in 1985, I still have, and I use it on a pretty regular basis. I don't use it every day, 
it still has the original batteries in it. <laughs> the engineering to make something that's that power efficient is just, um, it's mind boggling. You know, it's absolutely mind boggling. And the same thing I bought on, I bought a laser jet 1300 and I'm still using that today. And I can't, I can't get rid of it, even though, you know, cartridges are, you know, getting to be really tough to find. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Paul Shermack and Tom Ombinger and some of the, the uh, management that we were lucky enough to have in the office. Did you feel like you had good management support uh, in the office in your time at HP? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the reality is um, the fact that they let me do all of the stuff that I was doing and not paying attention to how many workstations I was selling, you know, uh, that's mind boggling you know, for, for a sales organization, because, you know, everybody else, you know, you had your quotas and yeah, you got a lot of leeway, but in the end of the day, you know, they were really paying attention. Uh, are you making your numbers? And if you weren't making your numbers, you know, um, you probably would get into a different line of work, you know, not necessarily outside of HP, but, you know, I mean, there are people that were really good at being salespeople. And then there are people that, you know, basically aren't per- probably the best, Salespeople are aren't driven by, you know, bringing the numbers that, you know, and people, it was interesting because we had that dynamic on the 3M team. We had guys that were really, really motivated and really good at closing the deals. And then there were people like me that were much more interested in just um, getting involved in the whole product end of it. And, um, and, you know, the guys on the 3M team, they, uh, they tolerated me. And they took advantage of me and the management gave us the free reign. And in the end, it was interesting because it wasn't like management decided we should be on a team quota. That was a decision that uh, those of us, the you know, the salespeople on the team, we collectively decided that we wanted to do that, you know. And there's probably some management, you know, at some levels uh, that probably thought that wasn't necessarily a good idea. But um, Tom Obinger and Paul Shermack, and uh, they were very supportive of that. Well, Mike, I've really appreciated chatting with you today. Um, can you give me a little sense of what you're doing? You mentioned uh, your furniture store. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing these days. Well, I met my wife when after I started working at Hewlett Packard, and uh, uh, she was working in a small wicker store in Minneapolis, and got really frustrated because her owner wouldn't buy her a copy machine. Uh, there was one of my neighbors was a real estate developer, and they uh, bought a building that was boarded up, had been boarded up for twenty years on Selby at the corner of Selby and Dale, and renovated it. And the first floor was wide open. They were looking for a retailer. And so I talked Suzanne into, we weren't even married at the time. I, I told her, hey, I'll put up the buddy, you run it, and we can be partners. And so we started traditions in this little storefront, 1,500 square feet in St. Paul. And uh, it took off and uh, it's grown and uh, it's been very successful for us. And we now, we've, we had a store for a while and, you know, and obviously on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, we closed that uh, a couple of years ago. We had a store for a while in Stillwater, and that introduced us to a good clientele in Minneapolis. We currently have a store in in St. Louis Park on Excelsior Boulevard that we've had there for many years. And we have a store in Naples, Florida, which is uh, where I'm spending a lot of time these days. 
Well, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Have a, have a great day. And hopefully we can get together before too long, Mike. And thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed it immensely. Thanks for listening. Larpenter Life is produced solely by me, Dave Carey. It's not affiliated or sponsored by HP in any way. I'd love to have you as a guest, and I'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. So please send me an email at larpenderlife at gmail.com. Until next time, take care, everybody.